When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Scott Tobias, here again with... Keith Epps. Tasha Robinson. And... Genevieve Kosky. In the first half of this conversation, we talked about the original 1984 Ghostbusters, henceforth known as Old Busters, in which the Ghostbusters are men. And now we'll shift to the new Ghostbusters, called New Busters, in which the Ghostbusters are women. Director Paul Feig, whose previous films include Bridesmaids, Heat, and Spy, cast two of his favorite stars, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, as estranged experts in the paranormal who reteam to fight a sudden influx of green specters in New York City. SNL stars Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones round out the quartet, and Chris Hemsworth does a dumb guy twist on the secretary character played by Annie Potts in the original film. The new Ghostbusters is made with obvious affection and cameos for the 1984 version and replicates certain character types and plot points too, but it also breaks from it in significant ways. We'll get into that, plus thoughts on the effects, the villains, New York City, blockbuster culture, and more. Do you see that? The eyes. All right, Holtzman, now we're becoming a mess No. That is unsettling. Hey, Patty, can I get some illumination on this subject? Yeah, I can put some light on that. Oh, boy. Where are these ghosts coming from? You're taking this pretty boy back to the lab. Holtzman? Yup. Power us up. Okay. I'm going to plug these things in here. Okay, Aaron, come here. I'm exactly like this. <laughs> Why am I operating the untested nuclear laser? You have the longest arms. This is just a little bit of grounding so you don't die immediately. You have done this before, right? Ready. Okay. Fire! Oh, yes. Oh, well, well. So let's just get right into this movie. What did everyone think? Was this worth doing a uh, remake, reboot? What, 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 what are you going to classify it as, Genevieve? I'm thinking of it as an alternate universe version a, of Ghostbusters. Okay, was this alternate universe version of Ghostbusters uh, worthwhile? Okay. I love everyone involved in this film. I love what this film is trying to do. I love how Paul Feig has really established himself as someone who takes kind of male-dominated movie tropes and does them with women. But I wish this movie hadn't been so beholden to Ghostbusters. I want to see this team do a movie like this that's not Ghostbusters (laughs) because I, I, I liked... New Busters about as much as I liked Old Busters, Mm -hmm. which is with a fair number of reservations and that there's a lot of good stuff in there. But as a complete movie, it was a little disappointing. And that kind of guts me to say. Yeah, I mean, I I guess maybe that's something we can get into later. But the stakes for 
you know, even to, for liking this film were higher than they are for just any old movie, which made it a very curious, uh, you know, experience, you know, in the culture before we even got a chance to see the movie. Uh, what do you think of it, Tasha? I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to from the trailers. The trailers were incredibly dispiriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it maybe it was just it was cutting together of, of too much special effects stuff mm-hmm. and too much stuff that, as Genevieve said, just seemed beholden to the original. Um, I, I laughed through most of the movie and every time I laughed I felt a tiny twinge of relief because (laughs) after the trailers I I went in kind of dreading the idea that this film was going to turn out to be terrible I enjoyed a lot of the performances Mm -hmm. Um, Kate McKinnon more than anything else my eyes turn into hearts when you say her name (laughs) Kate McKinnon Mm. Oh my god, that's so cute! I, I could just do that for the rest of the night, but the, the podcast people can't see it, so it's barely worth it. We need to post a, a like an Instagram of you with like little hearts in your eyes. The things that I liked most about this movie are the things that took it furthest away from the the film it's remaking, and uh, apparently they're they're trying to get it released in China, and it looks like China might ban it because they don't want movies that are seen as reinforcing occult beliefs but they renamed it superpower do or die team for the chinese market and some part of me thinks if it came out here as superpower do or die team we might have gotten like 25 percent less like man child vitriol about the whole thing because it's called ghostbusters and it's about the same four characters in the same world well, driving not, around the you same not mistake. You could, though, really you put a title like that on you're still not really gonna fool people into thinking this well, is then not it, a ghostbusters instead of the uh, like little ghost with a slash through it, they could have had like a little picture of a superpowered do or die team. Nobody would have caught on. No, no, seriously, I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I was going to. I didn't love it the way I would love to have loved it. I, the head of Sony has, has said that he wants this to be a franchise and he thinks a sequel will happen. Mm-hmm. If that does happen, I much as I reacted to the Force Awakens. I look forward to this being a platform from which they can jump off and do something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so. What? Or maybe you can just remake Ghostbusters too. <laughs> I am turning those hearts in your eyes into like little X's by stabbing you with my face. No, I, no, under my under my my thing about remakes is that you should always remake bad movies. <laughs> why remake? Why remake something That's that is kind of already good? Roger Ebert's thing. Yeah, too, like yeah. hey, mm-hmm. may, re, do a do a, if, if Ghostbusters two has a strong idea, which I don't remember enough of it, about it. Pink, pink slime. I, I, all Statue I know of is pink slime. Yeah, right. So yeah, that probably isn't enough to build a whole. Uh, movie I mean, it's around. pink, but, so you got that going yeah, for it. Improve it. Improve on. Yeah. <laughs> evil, evil portrait. Improve. I have not. You're t- you could say anything happens in that movie, and I will not. I will not be able to challenge Gi- you. On giant it. stack of dogs. <laughs> no human could stack dogs that way. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Uh, Keith, I want to hear your thoughts on the new Busters. I have mixed feelings. I, I, I want a, a writer I work with, Jason Tabris. Had a, had a piece today up on Brox about how it kind of laid out the impossibility of it. It's like we want to do a huge $145 million movie that lives up to this beloved classic. And, you know, everything has to be perfect. But it also has that loose, has to have that loose improvisational feel of the original. You know, it is, it is a tough needle to thread. And I think it did okay. 
I really, you know, to, to, to echo what everyone else is saying, I really like this cast. I really like Paul Feig. Some moments work better than others. I mean, how we, you want all of my thoughts now or, or just a few of them? I don't know why Melissa just, McCarthy just, is. Just dump them on us like a, like a ghost spitting all well, over Kristen Wiig. Well, I don't know why Melissa McCarthy is basically the straight woman in this. You know, she's very funny. She has a running gag about, uh, about a wonton soup, and that's kind of her only jokes she has. It seems like there ought to be a lot more emotion between her characters, a strange from Kristen Wiig's character, but there's not. They had not one really whole there. conversation about it. What more do you want? It's it a two-hour movie. Very, very quickly. Um, I thought those characters are basically interchangeable. I think Leslie Jones is kind of the only character, is the only one that really has a sort of development or an arc to it. But, you know, there's parts that made me laugh. I thought it, it probably doesn't get any less bogged down in the effects uh, finale than the original Maybe a little bit more though. I yeah. found it. I found the end kind of dreadful, to be honest. Um, but Scott, you must have. You probably have a lot of positive feelings. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I really I thought it was really bad, and I think it really plays to all of Paul Feig's weaknesses as a director, while while uh, missing all of his strengths. Um, you know, his last two movies, The Heat and Spy. What he what he likes to do is to take these genres and then and put funny people. In front of them, uh, I mean, he is a he is a is a take on the on the '80s action comedy. Spy is a is a take on sort of the James Bond type thriller. And I thought with Spy, which is my favorite of his movies, that he really had kind of advanced a little bit more as a filmmaker. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of holding out a little bit of hope for for Ghostbusters on that front. But the problem I had with the Heat, which is a film I otherwise like, is that the action elements of that film, which in '80s films is, are, are very important. Uh, were very sloppy and very haphazard and not something that, that he seemed to consider all that important to execute well. And, uh, you know, Spy Spy improved on that, but Ghostbusters to me did not. It was just, it, it felt like situation comedy to me. It's just, it's, it's let's put four funny women in, put them in scene after scene and, and have them, you know, improvise or whatever, the, you know, just have them do their thing and do the bridesmaids thing and do the heat thing and do the spy thing and do it do it for at a peachy 13 level it, it just is so flat to me the thing it just never came to life and I, and I and i almost sunk in my chair from the very first scene in the movie which had zach woods from silicon valley who i really liked and, and uh he he just was you know he was riffing i was like oh no this isn't just going to be riffing is it this whole movie and uh you know things like this the running joke involving the wonton soup it's just, it's weak sauce to me i just it, it didn't feel like uh you know a, a good solid story was being told and we talked about uh when we talked about old busters uh one of the virtues of old old busters was that it was a a very solid piece of storytelling with a lot of discrete scenes that you remembered and it moved it moved really well and had an interesting pace and it just felt like as a movie it worked it wasn't just about placing funny people in a situation where they could be funny uh, which was what the new Ghostbusters felt like to me there was an odd rhythm to this movie to new busters that I, I could really feel the editing and the stuff being left on the cutting room floor for the sake of time but then also wanting to maintain that comedic improvisational energy and so letting things go on longer than they probably should have and I agree that the the big ending set piece is a little bit of a mess, although it does have 
the only moment in this movie that made me cry, which is Kate McKinnon's like slow motion, double, yep. uh, yeah. double pistol, uh, ass kicking. That was like um, a, the one piece of, piece of style that was awesome yeah, too. That yeah. was like, I did, I, I welled up and so did Steve, uh, who was sitting next to me. Hi again. <laughs> but it was really choppy in a way that hurt the, both the comedic energy and the action movie energy. And really does kind of contribute to the sense that there are a lot of, of good bits and pieces of this film that I can remember, like the stuff going on with Chris Hemsworth character. But as a story, you're right. Like there's not a lot going on there, unfortunately. Well, there kind of is. It just, it gets short shrift a little right. bit. Yeah. Like it feels like it was left on the cutting room floor. And yeah, I mean, it feels like they, they didn't leave the special effects on the cutting room floor, but that's kind of some of the stuff I'm least interested in. There's There are all of these hints here, I feel like, of a movie that I don't know whether they shot and then cut cut it down or they conceived of it and then pared it out. But I mean, one of the things Paul Feig seems to do really well is build movies that care about relationships between women. Mm-hmm. And you've got something going on here between Kristen Wiig's character and Melissa McCarthy's character where they had a passed together that was really important to both of them and then they they split and now one of them feels betrayed and angry and the other one feels embarrassed and we've spent a little time building that up and then the resolution is just kind of hey look there's a ghost yep. like there's a lot more build up here of these characters establishing who these characters are than old busters had but there's no more payoff for it one thing that struck me um i I rewatched Old Busters after seeing New New Busters, and New Busters follows a lot of the the beats of the uh, of Old Busters. But what struck me as being very different and kind of pointed is the city's reaction to in the public's reaction mm. to the Ghostbusters in in each film. And we were talking in the last half about that that montage where the Ghostbusters become famous and beloved, and all the magazine covers. And that is not the case for the Ghostbusters in this new film. And um, there is a lot of kind of backlash and behind the scenes political maneuvering to to undermine them. We probably should be reading <laughs> some uh, underlying uh, statement into that, I think, as far as uh, the reaction to this film. Uh, oh, the pre-reaction yeah, I mean, to this you, film. Talk about the plotting of this film and, and the villain, which, Tasha, I think might be your topic. I mean, I think you're looking at uh, this film as a metaphor for the creation of this film in, in, in a lot of ways and the resistance that it, it faced trying to make its way to the screen and get it, get it get it into release and just the whole concept of the of women in this in this role so or in any role really but uh and that figures into the the villain in this film and i believe that is your topic uh villains sure i wanted to talk about villains in general mostly what struck me a, a friend of mine uh, samantha nelson who writes for red eye and the daily herald and uh quite a bit for the av club about movies and games brought up a point to me that i thought was really interesting which is that the villain here uh Rowan, played by Neil Casey, has a lot in common with a Kristen Wiig character. You know, they they both were mocked as children. They both turned to the supernatural. They both feel like disenfranchised and like they didn't make any connections. The big difference between them is that one of them had a friend and the other one didn't. But the movie doesn't really do much to highlight that. It's it's a really trenchant point, I think. And especially it kind of plays into Feig's thing about female friendship. Because Kristen Wiig's character had a friend, she didn't turn out like him. 
she didn't turn out as this suicidal madman who's out to become a ghost and destroy everything. And it, it seems like there's a point there that there's like such a thin line between a hero and villain. And it's a point that the movie kind of fumbles by, again, not picking up on the backstory that it builds. That said, I think it's interesting that New Busters does have a human villain that actually has someone that, that puts the plot in motion that isn't a dead guy who's off screen who we never see as it is in old busters. There's kind of a face of evil here. And that face is, as you, you're pointing out, Scott, kind of the face of the people who <laughs> hated this movie sight unseen. Mm-hmm. You know, the the angry loner who can't bear that things are going on in the world, that the, the, the other people are like living happy lives in the world and kind of wants to bring it all down um, because he feels left out, because he feels disenfranchised, because mm-hmm. he feels like, you know, he had a happy childhood and somebody ruined it for him so i don't i mean the backlash to this movie started the second it was announced so there was certainly enough time for them to take that into consideration when creating this villain i don't know how much that's a thing or isn't but i think making the villain kind of a a pasty stubby white dude who feels threatened and disenfranchised by other people's friendships is pretty trenchant, especially considering it's one of the biggest things that marks it out as different from old busters, where you're really your primary villain is a cosmic force of nature, a, a giant, incomprehensible monster that just kind of proceeds on its own timeline without any help. I do like very much that both of these movies have specific concrete reasons why suddenly ghosts and the supernatural are a thing in New York City when they weren't really previously. It's not, you know, a Batman Joker kind of thing where the existence of Ghostbusters suddenly means the existence <laughs> of ghosts. Um and the fact that the, these movies do it both very differently, I think, is is one of New Buster's strengths. I like that it goes out on its own limb. I just I wish it did a little better, like if, that it developed its ideas a little more. Well, yeah, and with positing Rowan as kind of a you know evil version of of the, the Ghostbusters, like I I needed some explanation on how he became like a one man paranormal supervillain, like like where he. I, how he was able to build this thing in a hotel and how he knew about it all to begin with. Like, you know, that's a hell of an autodidact there, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like I just, I got his motives. I didn't get how he got there. You you know who he reminds me of? (laughs) It's all these witches. You know who he reminds me of is the villain in The Incredibles. Yeah. And that is is a a villain that, again, he creates his own stuff. He wants to be part of something. Uh, But, I mean, again, that is a film that takes, that handles that so much more elegantly uh, and, and establishes that he's trying to be part of the team. I guess, I guess it's not, Totally analogous. This villain in uh, the new Ghostbusters is not trying to be part of the team, but, but I he think, does feel rejected in the same sort of way. I yeah. think, gotta, no, I think I mean, you're I th- onto I th- something. I, yeah, I really got that sort of vibe from it. But um, on on paper, it's a much more effective villain and much more thematically appropriate villain. But I don't, I don't know. I, I found this guy's never scary. I, I don't really find his threat all that threatening. Um, whereas Zul seems like. You know, maybe he would uh, take down uh, the entire the fabric of uh, of reality. You know, so I don't know. Uh, I did think it was interesting how Bill Murray factored in to this movie and in, into New Busters mm-hmm. because he is he's he's not a villain per se. He's a, a little antagonistic figure, but he is possessed by the villain um, yeah. at, at one point. And being that you know we we talked about how he is the 
heart of old busters i found it it interesting that the personification of that original film was possessed by the villain in this new film that's another briefly but that's another idea that i think doesn't really that looks good on paper doesn't really work and i really didn't care for his scenes at all and they were they were funny and or he was particularly effective in them or wanted to be there (laughs) you know did any of the cameos in this movie work for you uh hudson was pretty funny Potts was pretty funny. Yeah, Potts was good. Wait, where, who, where was she? She's in the uh, behind she's the desk hotel. in the hotel. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she's not really like like laugh line Olympics or anything, but and you know, I liked seeing Ernie Hudson again. You know I what thought, my favorite cameo, cameo was? was that? Ozzy Osbourne from 2002 yelling Sharon for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was really weird. It also felt like it was uh, shot like three weeks before or after anything else was. You know, Bill Murray in this movie is kind of the Walter Peck. He's much more mannered and ridiculous than Walter Mm -hmm. Peck. Like Walter Peck's ridiculousness is a very specific kind of like believable, sputtering, functionary bureaucrat ridiculousness. William Atherton too. You can't stop. William Atherton is fantastic. Um, (laughs) You know, one thing that bothered me. And Bill Murray isn't. I'm saying saying nobody can do William Atherton like William Atherton. But one thing that kind of bothered me, if you want to talk about like the meta narrative or the meta politics of the movie are, are are when they kind of just make it explicit. I mean, it's a really it's a really brief thing, but there's kind of a reference to comments on the yeah. internet. It just it just is like in a moment like that, sort of struck me like, are you just making this movie for right now, or are you making it? Are you making a movie that is going to last for that we're going to talk about? Like we talk about the the old busters. I mean, I just I think like just don't settle for the for the for a reference that's gonna gonna please people. In 2016, you know, try to... I don't know. If we still have the internet in uh, 2026 and we're not, they haven't come up with something better that doesn't have internet forums or comments on it, I think we're still going to be having that conversation. And, and I, would, mm. I would suggest that children, particularly young girls who are seeing this film now they may have a connection to this fi- to this film 30 years down the line the way that you have a connection to original yeah. they may also need a connection but, no, to the I'm idea that you might, should I'm ignore the haters no oh. sure sure i i'm just saying i i'm thinking the it's just it feels like sort of a hot take in the middle of the film you know what i mean rather than it's a Scott, throwaway are you line worried? are you worried this film is going to be dated you the, know you the, loved all the internet comments in pop star a, 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 a film you we all praised for being so of the moment. Yeah, yeah. and you know, no, but the, I mean, but but it, but but it was was specific. I don't know. It Looney was, it, Tunes humor is hugely specific to its time, and yeah. it's still funny. I mean, I, I I totally get what you're saying, but at the same time, as Genevieve says, it's a throwaway it's a, line. It's a nitpick, but but uh, but I did I just it was a moment that sort of groaned because I was like, just be your own thing, and it was it kind of fed into this idea of uh, of new Ghostbusters not really just working as a story as a really carefully told piece of storytelling it just seemed like a you know another joke another kind of throwaway gag another bit of improvisation that doesn't have the, the architecture to support it I don't know. I think comedies and action movies these days both need to be made for the audience and for the moment. I I don't think you can ever, anytime you set out to make a movie for the ages, I think you're getting yourself in trouble. (laughs) No, but but I just, it's just not solid to me. I don't know. Before we move on from villains, can we just give a shout out to Chris Hemsworth as a possessed (laughs) crazy dancing villain? (laughs) I I didn't really like him in that that mood. I thought I liked, I liked, Unpossessed Kevin a lot though. I thought it was really funny. I thought I thought uh, his his you know his logos he created for for them. I, I liked his, his headshots. Yeah, his headshots. Uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, 
Conductors in the metaphysical. Okay, cool. See ya. Hey, guys, which one of these makes me look more like a doctor? Who is that on the phone? Uh, the Stonebrook Theatre. There's a goat on the loose. I'm going to load up the car. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of like reluctant to 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 lead with how funny Chris Hemsworth is in this movie because that kind of defeats part of the purpose of this movie in some ways. Just like you know who's really funny, the guy, but uh, but he's really funny. Yeah, know. and and he's also really hot, which they they make uh, good use of. I, I I did like kind of the equal opportunity ogling by uh, of Kevin by Kristen Wiig, but yeah, uh, possessed Kevin. I, I I did like possessed Kevin. I'm with you there, but that dance scene. That's what I'm talking about when I say you can tell that this movie is chopped to ribbons because the dance scene isn't in the movie. It's played over the credits and it was so clearly meant to be in the movie because you see all these people on the street like forced into this like disco point pose and it's never explained why in the movie itself. And then you see the dance sequence over the credits. It's like, oh, well, that clearly was supposed to happen there. It apparently was a seven figure cut. It, the the sequence cost more than a million dollars and it was cut from the film because it wasn't working. And and I can't imagine, I wouldn't want that finale to be any slower. You know, it's probably a good cut, but it is, and, and what's left there does feel very odd, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it really does. It feels very incomplete. And it feels like the, the, the action climax of the movie happens 20 minutes before the end of the movie mm-hmm. when they're actually fighting all those ghosts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, you yeah, know, because I, again, I, I like Paul Feig's other other films, two, two of these actresses, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, he's worked with to, to great effect before. And of course, Kate, Kate McKinnon is incredible. I'm sure we'll talk about her more. You just almost want to see them do something else. Uh, this movie, this movie really feels hamstrung by so much stuff. I think the problem, uh, though, is in 2016, Paul Feig says, I have an original idea with these women. Oh, and right. it's a supernatural comedy it's an original concept, but it's some sort of supernatural comedy or whatever. You know, it doesn't get made, whereas Ghostbusters gets made a lot more easily. Yeah, but I mean, some of the original kind of we we have been led to expect a lot of different versions of this movie, and like I wonder as we're talking about like what the movie looked like before it was recut. But I also wonder like how many ideas and iterations they went through because there was a point where they were saying that this was going to be. Like not a remake, not a reboot, but like a, a legitimate sequel. Like that they there was a plan at one point to have the original Ghostbusters in the film, like not as cameos playing other characters, but to kind of have them passing the torch. And it makes sense if you've got a world where ghosts exist and this technology exists, eventually your heroes are gonna age out and somebody else has to has to take over because they're still ghosts. And I think that would have made a more interesting story. Yeah, I had I had missed the memo that it, that was no longer the case that it wasn't a sequel because I just tried to like disengage from all the pre-talk about this this movie uh, as I could. So I went into it like not really clear on what it was as far as it reboot uh, sequel status went. And when I saw Bill Murray, I was like, oh, this is how they're going to do it. Like it's something like New York's forgotten about the Ghostbusters. And blah, blah, you know, like I was like, this is they're going to turn it into a, a kind of a backdoor sequel here. And then it didn't happen. I was like, oh. I felt disappointed because no. I, I guess I kind of did want it to be a sequel. You should have been sitting where I was because the kid behind me was explaining everything that was happening as it was happening, and even <laughs> saying jokes that he knew from the trailer before. Anyway, I don't know, you know so. what? That kid is going to be so mad when they make an all-male Ghostbusters in 30 years. <laughs> I haven't heard uh, anything about new male Ghostbusters in like more than a year now. Is that still on? I heard some, I saw some vague headline referencing that it might still do some sort of male go. I, 
don't, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Aykroyd has a lot of ideas, yeah. a lot of ideas about Ghostbusters, a lot of ideas about actual ghosts, yeah. aliens, and yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the things, if if it had, if it had been a true sequel or a passing of the torch, it may have, might have, uh, you know, ex- helped to explain the evolution of the ghost busting <laughs> weaponry, for example, and and uh, uh, which which uh, required uh, some updating effects, uh, which uh, leads us to your topic. It does. I, I want to talk about the visual effects without getting into a one-to-one comparison of the visual effects in these two films, because obviously they're both objects of very different periods in visual effects technology, and I don't want to get into a situation where we're calling the old buster effects dated. No, don't do that. No, we, we were not going to do that. But So I want to talk instead. I found it interesting that both films exhibit the struggle to combine comedy and special effects. Old Busters was combining state-of-the-art visual effects in comedy way that hadn't been done before, and it was reportedly quite an adjustment for Reitman to make, you know, because comedy relies on spontaneity and having multiple takes and extra coverage, all of which is a lot harder to achieve when you have to account for post-production. Feig had more technology on his side with his CGI ghosts, but he reportedly was very conscious of having quote-unquote real ghosts on set with the actors using actors and stunt performers on wires and even puppets. Even, uh, in one case, a LED-festooned drone to cast light in, a, in the right way. So, in theory, this was to allow for the sort of spontaneity and improvisational energy his cast thrives in, but I don't think I'm alone in finding the end result pretty choppy. Much of the humor in New Busters feels chopped ribbons like we talked about and there's a lot of ADR jokes added over these big CGI set pieces that feel like very obvious afterthoughts or attempts to inject comedy where it wasn't happening. Looking at the visual effects on their own there's I think a lot to admire both of these films but I think they also both struggle a bit when it comes to reconciling those effects with their comedy. I mean I think that the first one does it fairly elegantly given, mm-hmm. the, given the circumstances because one you know one of my favorite sequences in the film is is in the hotel and that that's a very difficult sequence i'm sure to, to choreograph and, and get right on both an effects level and a comedy level and i think it works like gangbusters um but um ghostbusters it works like <laughs> ghostbusters uh but um you know this one again it kind of struggled for me um but almost more on a on a script scripting level than on a uh effects level the effects didn't strike me as particularly memorable i think film. i think there was definitely some some cool effects in mm-hmm. the in new busters that i will quickly um shout out the 3d wasn't great um and the 3d glasses we got were oh, horrible small. they were super narrow and yeah. you could like see around them it, it was really strange i don't know if that was just the theater we went to or what the theater i thought the 3d was particularly poor when there weren't effects i, I felt like i was looking at like an yes. old, old view master or yeah something. and and feig apparently really wanted to do a lot with matte breaks um which is, you may have noticed the film was like letterboxed um kind of with the, the the black band on the top and bottom and that was because a lot of the 3d effects break that box mm. to to make them like come out of the screen even more um and i did notice that like a couple times the um proton stream breaking out of the frame and ghosts of course you know kind of flying out of the frame so i thought that was well done and i i did like the um bit where the ghostbusters logo i, I don't know if that character has a a name is known by something but it's called ghosty okay or busty <laughs> Oh wait, no. Busty would be Chris Hemsworth's icon. Wait, when, when Ghosty, version. when Ghosty Busty takes the place of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, there, there's one like really great shot I loved where you see his foot and it kind of like peels off the concrete in this way that suggests like kind of a deflated garbage bag. And it was just this really great kind of 
like texture and movement that's like oh yeah like cgi effects can be really cool when they're when they're used well like that character was just like kind of gross and unsettling in a lot of really specific ways i thought as far as old busters i agree that the hotel sequence is really well done i think a lot of the stuff on the rooftop when zool appears Mm -hmm. it does feel a little more um more choppy because Mm -hmm. it is so dependent on special effects yeah that feels very sound Mm stagey yes and that's where i think when when everyone talks about how it's such a a new york movie yeah i get that a lot of like the locations and stuff but the part at the end where um where Winston, you know, shouts, I, I love this city that comes right after this like long extended sequence that is like, it feels very removed from New York. It's <laughs> on this building that doesn't exist. It feels like it's not a sound station. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot they were in New York this whole time. So I think like that line always strikes me as a little weird. I think the effects at the end are really, they harm the film, uh, New Busters, um, because it's just one of those things where uh, the new film just, uh, takes too much from the the old film. I mean, it, you know, with the old film, you had the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, and then in the new film, you have something like a Macy's Day parade of mm-hmm. of, of of beasties, and uh, they're just too similar. And like, in, uh, throwback to the New York of yesteryear, I, I did I did not get the whole like time travel element. Really is necessary. Stepping my topic here. Should, oh, we, should we move into to, yes. To, well, uh, let's uh, let's. Uh, finish. Uh, I mean, I think most of us haven't talked that much. Yeah, I think you haven't talked about the VFX. I haven't talked about the VFX. Um, I'm mostly. I, I thought they were in the new one. I thought they were largely pretty good. I mean, I, I like the demon on Leslie Jones's shoulder. That, that was that was well done, and, and kind of and her reaction was very funny. And yet it was a scary monster. It's kind of like everything. It's kind of one of the moments where I thought the effects and the comedy all were working mm-hmm. together pretty well. It was a little over overwhelming. I'm kind of sorry I saw it in 3D, um, mm-hmm. but uh, the effects were when the 3D worked. Uh, otherwise, I thought the 3D conversion in this was may have been may, may have been where we saw it but it was it was kind of I think of, it was where disaster. you saw it cuz I I was at a different screening mm-hmm. and I didn't have a problem with okay. the 3D at all, all right, right. but yeah. I also would, didn't prefer, notice the letterbox pref- thing Would you prefer yeah. it that for in that format in 3D? Yeah. It didn't do enough with the 3D to make yeah. it See, to make the 3D it, I, memorable I, I, for yeah. me. I, like one way or the other. Like I didn't have a problem with it and I wasn't blown away by it. Now I I half want to see it again in 3D just to look for that letterboxing thing cuz I yeah. missed that entirely. I mean it was very CG but at the same time but there was a, a a uh, one thing I liked about the original is how the like Slimer is you know this glowing thing was also a puppet. I think they did try to make these effects kind of tactile and, and mm-hmm. like that was really there. So you know I th- I thought it was mo- they were mostly pretty good. I actually like the Macy's Day Parade thing and especially especially the, like the weird floppy like army leggy uh, Uncle Sam thing that kind of leads it. I just I found there to be a an unsettling unrealness about them that was a lot more interesting than all of the people in old timey costumes that glowed that were kind of like the rest of the the old timey New York problem. So what was that all about, Keith? Because that, cause that well, leads into your topic. A little yeah, bit. Well, I just want to talk about New York a little bit and and how the first one is a great New York movie. There's some things you can't fake, and one of them is just showing up and shooting it. And uh, you know maybe this might be nostalgia as well, but it's definitely one of those movies that formed an idea of what New York was for me as a kid, and 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 uh, kind of the New York you, you you look for when you when you actually go there uh, for the first time. Uh, but you know it's it's got the look, it's got the feel, and 
I won't say that uh, New Busters does it, you know, does a bad job. Of it. it was largely filmed in Boston, and I have no stake in the in the rivalry between those two cities. But I also feel like there is sort of a New Yorkness you can't fake. I thought the idea of the finale almost redeemed it, though. I I thought it was really badly executed, but this sort of like this this you know the looking at Tasha, you know the novel Ubik by Philip K. Dick. Why, of course. So sort of this idea, of like sort of the 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 this location that's slipping into this past version of itself, I thought was a really neat concept. And I, and, I, and I actually found myself distracted in that climax, like trying to read the marquees, <laughs> like, oh, they're showing Fist of Fury, and oh, there's uh, uh, Beyond the Fringe is playing. Oh, I'm, you I'm know? glad I'm not the only person that does that, that just completely drops out of a movie when we see a marquee, and like, what's playing, what's playing? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, the idea of, of the old New Yorkers kind of resurfacing and kind of... Uh, conceptually kind of got into the idea of ghosts, kind of got the idea of these these characters who had to kind of break with tradition in some ways. But I, the execution of it, I didn't think really worked very well at all, though. But but in terms of New York movies, I think one is a great time capsule of the New York of its era, and one is a okay simulation of what New York is like in 2016. Can we at least give New Busters credit for uh, acknowledging that the old Busters firehouse would be wildly out of <laughs> yep. out of their budget? Yeah. I thought that was one of the few explicit old busters referencing gags that that worked pretty well. It was pretty good. It really frustrates me a lot that they decided to go in the direction that they did with Leslie Jones' character. I do not understand for the life of me why they thought in like this political environment making in making this movie that it would be a great idea to have three white lady scientists and the only black person is like a working class woman who comes in late to the team why did they want to recreate that yes but also that character has an incredibly deep understanding of new york history which is, is why very... which is why i bring it up as part of this topic yes. it's it becomes really interesting because she has a function in within the story. Her knowledge becomes a function. Her, her erudition becomes a function. And she gets to bring up a lot of the fact that New York is it's one of America's older cities. And it's got layer of uh, upon layer upon layer of history. And it becomes really important in a ghosty environment that all of these places have history behind them, which, you know, we also touch on in, in ways in Old Busters with the history of the building that Dana lives in. So I find that a really interesting choice that they kind of decided to make her the face of New York, the voice of New York, the custodian of New York. I don't see any reason whatsoever they had to do that by making her a blue collar MTA worker, as opposed to given that all of that knowledge came from books, she could have been a friend of theirs who was a scientist who was in some way educated and who also read books. I I agree that the optics aren't great, but I thought it was played well, and I thought again. I think I think Leslie Jones is the only character that really has some kind of kind of development to her, and 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 why why not have a character who's an MTA worker who kind of wants to better herself and and move up in the world? I mean, that seems like a totally legit character. And I don't really see the character as a stereotype, so I don't know. I, I I'm a middle class white male explaining why this isn't yeah, racist. Yeah, I, I, I know. Like I feel like we're all kind of just like clenched when we're talking well, about this, but it does need to be talked about. Yeah. I'm not clenched because I don't like it. I agree with Keith that like the optics are bad and I agree with Tasha that like the she she could have been a scientist. I think that the version of that you're talking about where she, where that character is, you know, also a highly educated scientist doesn't necessarily fit with the casting of Leslie Jones who I think has a very specific type of humor that aligns with that character and I don't think I would want to give up Leslie Jones in this movie for a more like 
erudite, polished, black, intellectual Ghostbuster. We'd have a third. We'd have a third character that that's just like Wig and and yeah. McCarthy, or you know, have more than one black person in the movie, or any any other person of color in the movie. You know, that could also help. The one thing. Uh, this is not. This is just talking about more team dynamics. One, one point that I thought was a, a good one that Alan Shurstel of the Village Voice made with regard to to this film in comparison to Old Busters is that. Everybody in this film uh, wants to be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> they all are committed to this mission, uh, to working as a team. It, it doesn't have uh, a Venkman type. Uh, uh, and uh, I think he found that refreshing. I, th- uh, I don't know if you I mean, Wick's, well, Wick's I mean, yeah. character is pretty reluctant at the beginning. At the beginning. Until, but, but until she gets barfed on, on, on and board. then she's on board. She's on board. But I mean, Venkman also comes on board really early in the film as soon as he sees there's a profit in it. Yeah, but he's still, but, right, exactly. But that's not, but, it, it, you know, I don't think he, I don't think that necessarily aligns him with the, 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 the mission. I think, I think it's way. interesting that in Old Busters, Venkman comes on because he sees a profit. And in New Busters, they're all in it to prove themselves. It, well, Ooh, it, hey, now the more I think about that, the, the deeper it gets right? to bump behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, so we we've all been uh, studiously and, and I think and admirably avoiding some of the conversation that has happened around this film. So I, I and, I, and actually my little thing is is going to get around it a little bit, but I, I feel like I have to do it because because uh, New Busters is kind of an example of blockbuster culture, which is my topic that I really felt I wanted to discuss. To me, New New Busters has been sort of the grotesque manifestation of a common phenomenon, which is the culture of anticipation. By the time uh, New Busters reached theaters, positive and negative opinions uh, seemed like they were calcifying already on both sides. Uh, And that's not to say that the two sides are equivalent. I think many of us wanted the film to be great and successful just to beat back the troglodytes who had objected to it on sexist principle. But it's an extreme... No review. I refuse. No review. (laughs) God, that thing. And he had like a, you know, a Star Trek Five standing in front of him, objecting to New Busters. Anyway, but but I think it's an extreme example of how little we're allowed to be surprised by the movies themselves anymore. You know, when, when the first Ghostbusters came out, the studios were starting to kind of learn to impose more control over making commercially appealing product. But you know, this was not. This is way before the internet. You know, if you wanted to uh, see a trailer, you had to see it before a movie or maybe a, a TV commercial. You know, and it wasn't common for the average person to have you know information doled out about the film during during the making of the film um, uh, to the you know all the way to the moment it, to the moment it was released. Uh, and now it seems like the narratives are written before anyone sees a movie. You know, st- studios have thoroughly market tested their ideas. Uh, you know, we, we've got trailers. And, and all these making of details that have come up and they and they all set up expectations and seeing the movies themselves can feel almost like an act of confirmation bias. Um, the fight over New Busters has been a uniquely miserable experience uh, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, uh, but one is this commonly shared feeling that we know what the movie is going to be before we see it. Um, you know, we're made to anticipate too much and it encourages, I think, a system that has no incentive at all for defying or upending our expectations. Um, you know, the old Ghostbusters uh, had a chance uh, to surprise us. And, and to me, the, the new Ghostbusters feels canned. 
I don't engage with an awful lot of the like the speculation and the previewing and the here's what we know about you know 27 things we know about Ghostbusters mm-hmm. based you on don't, but but but, but it, what it I'm happens. saying is it's it's doable to not like that stuff is all out there for those who want it but you like you don't have to dig that deep into it. I'm I'm really don't watch a lot of trailers because I don't want to go into a movie spoiled. And I see so many movies uh, in screener screening form or in critic screener form that it's actually easier than it for me than a lot of people uh, to to dodge trailers. So that's like an advantage I have. But overall, like I I only walked into this movie think, thinking that I knew what I was going to get because I bit the bullet and watched a bunch of trailers because I. I was curious what the conversation was going to be. I think it is possible to step away from the conversation. And, you know, our friend Sam Sam Adams kind of made the point when uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane came out and people were going gaga for it because it was so unspoiled. It was so uncertain what that movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. And we got to experience what it was going to be on the screen instead of for a year and a half before the movie came out on our laptops. He, and he, he made the point, you can have that experience with any movie by ignoring all of the hype leading up to it. It's a pretty loud noise to, to, to close your ears to, and especially in this case, though. Well, especially if you work in entertainment media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, all talking, we're all talking like this isn't our business, but yeah. it's our business. Um, I'm just saying, at like blaming blaming the culture too much, uh, There are, there is individual choice involved. Well, the other point to make is that it is impossible to go into this movie cold if you've seen ghostbusters like we and and that kind of brings up another aspect of blockbuster culture is that everything has to be part of something else whether it is Mm. kicking off a universe or expanding a universe or you know and that comes with its own host of expectations and limitations on on the filmmakers who take on these projects yeah i mean i mean you get down to it it is you know a remake that you think or a reboot that is uh, depending on your opinion you know some moderate moderately inspired perhaps or or not in my yeah i mean it's 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 trying to do its own thing it's like coloring book filmmaking you know like the lines are already there and you can get as creative as you want and filling in the lines but don't color outside those lines all i know is i hope I hope it's as bad as it gets. I hope the build up around this, the 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 uh, uh, Ghostbusters, as bad as it gets. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even refer to the movie. I, I I I hope that the discussion, like I don't even like using the word controversy around this movie because it shouldn't be. There's nothing controversial about this. It's the hullabaloo. Yeah, hullabaloo. the hullabaloo. Hubbub. The movie itself is is a totally pleasant you know inoffensive it's a kid's movie yeah, like kids the first movie, one it's the first one you know and, and like what what happened like like <laughs> like why why did it, why did it come to this is sort of my been my my thinking about this for months is like did it did it really have to become this flashpoint that brought out the worst well, yeah. the worst in one side and you know the other you know uh let's just leave it there the worst in one one, one side of the this issue and i think is, the not great there were some not great things on the other side i mean there's something too about I don't necessarily think the high point of activism is making sure Sony gets money for yeah. its $150 million investment, which has a scene of 
them eating Papa John's pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. that just, oh my God, that and the, the Pringles right. ad. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, it's like, you watch that and it's like, oh, okay, this is just but, product. I but mean, but okay. there's definitely product placement in Old but Busters. The product yeah. placement yeah. in yeah. Old Busters is really surprisingly egregious. Yeah. The, the, the number of scenes where they're sitting around eating Cheez-Its and drinking mm-hmm. Coke. And they're, well, Colum- and, you know, Columbia had just been purchased by Coca-Cola or something yeah. at that point, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that hasn't changed in 30 no, years. No, but it, it was a weird as a cause celeb but again, well not to, i mean, not, not, not I mean to, again, they, they to, didn't have a moment where they held up the cheese it box and said we can't resist these delicious uh cheese it's <laughs> so it has changed a little bit this is not like everyone going out to see a new claire Denis film on principle or something right, no, no um but um uh, of course now we are we are talking about this film the thursday after it came out and it's like <laughs> Does this film even exist anymore? I mean, it was well, like it was, like it was like it was like Leslie movies, Jones yeah. got drummed off of Twitter by a bunch she, of she racists, came, and that was like today. she came back. So. You're right, okay, for 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 a bit, and it was like and scene, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like this is the end of this ridiculous. What's the, what's the ugliest possible coda we can add right. to this? Oh, yeah. right, yeah, just but, blatant racism, you know? Yeah, and it was just drummed like, up by by an awful one of the, one of the internet's most awful people. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Well. Here's a more positive takeaway. Okay. Keith and Scott, I know, uh, sidebar, Keith, Scott, and I were all in the same theater, uh, kind of by accident, <laughs> seeing this film. Um, and Keith and Scott, I know you were annoyed by the young child behind you who mm-hmm. was talking through the whole movie. I was sitting behind him, so it was a little, it was, I was still hearing him, but, you know, it wasn't next to my ear. But I was encouraged by his enthusiasm, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm encouraged by stories of kids quoting you know kate mckinnon's character and and leslie jones's character the two the two funny characters yeah but but i <laughs> you know in that in that wonderful picture of the little girls dressed up like ghostbusters yeah. like you know on reaching the red carpet. on the red carpet like that to me makes it all worth it yeah yeah, <laughs> well, it's yeah there part is of that. acknowledging that it's okay for the next generation to have things too like all of this stuff that we're getting from angry people, like raging about their childhoods, we keep coming back to the same point over and over. Not everything is made for you, and that's okay. And I think yeah. it's also good to remember that it is a very small, however vocal contingent. Mm-hmm. And like, the thing that reminded me of that was, was actually about a month before I saw this movie. I'm going to give you a spoiler for a, a, a month-old movie that uh, everyone who's wanted to see has already seen it. So I saw the movie Central Intelligence and throughout the movie, they tease the arrival of this character that Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson's char- characters knew in high school. And like, there's all this build-up to this character that Dwayne Johnson had a, a character had a crush on. And like she finally shows up and it's Melissa McCarthy. And the audience I was with was just audibly happy. It's like, oh, we like Melissa McCarthy. There's that funny woman we like. How happy we are to see her. It's like, oh, wait, you know what? There's a star of Mike and Molly, yeah. that show that was on for <laughs> years and years. Well, it's like, like, you know, I thought, you know what? Maybe we're going to be okay. Maybe not everyone is awful. Maybe I just we just spent too long paying too much attention and listening too too hard to to awful people who don't represent the way most right thinking people do. And you know, one of the things about those awful people, when I was writing my Ghostbusters review, I wanted to pin down the the actual date that new Ghostbusters was announced. And I I found that all of the pieces pointed back to Paul Feig tweeting about it. Like he he actually like dropped that release on Twitter. So I went back to his original uh, tweet and looked at the comments. And the first couple hundred responses are so excited and so enthused. 
and talking about like all of the funny women who might be in it and that they hope to see and talking about like how excited they are. And I, I actually had a moment, a very, I write about culture for a living moment of, is there a story in this about how the, the backlash mm-hmm. took a while to form? But then like you get a, a few hundred comments in and all of a sudden it's rage, rage, frothing rage. But a lot of that frothing rage was repeated when the casting was announced. And I read a little bit of that. And so much of it was focused on things like, why would you cast these women who don't even have good tits? And when you read a comment like that, suddenly it becomes incredibly easy to dismiss it and let it go. The person who said that was not going to be happy about this movie, no matter what form it took. It's not for him. We don't have to please him. We don't have to care about what he thinks. He's a mad frother on the internet. Eh, he can go... He, he he can go to the place that uh, Kristen Wiig says that the uh, real estate agent can go when she says that the, the firehouse is $22,000 a month. And we don't need to worry about it. We touched on this in the first episode briefly and then we skimmed by it. But we, we were kind of talking about why did the original Ghostbusters make such a mark on so many people? I really do think that it has something to do with the fact that you have the original three characters are kind of these rejected geeks who use rejected nerdy geek stuff to become heroes. You have a spazzy dork who's in love with a beautiful woman across the way, and in a weird sort of way, he gets to get with her. It's a payoff for all of the rejected dorks out there. And I think that people latch on to that, and they feel like this movie was meant for me. It was made for me. And now they're remaking it for somebody else, and that's not fair. And we don't have to worry about what they think because it's not for them and that's okay. You know, and contrary to fanboy concerns, copies of the 1984 Ghostbusters (laughs) have not been burned. It's still widely available on DVD and Blu-ray and on all the streaming services. The new Ghostbusters, or new Busters as we call it, is still in theaters everywhere, except maybe China. And uh, we will be right back with our usual recommendation segment, Your Next Picture Show. Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it'll put something interesting on your radar. Genevieve, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I brought a short film. Yay! Short films. I want to recommend a short film by Emily Carmichael called Stryka. Um, For those unfamiliar, Carmichael is an indie director and animator who used to produce a Penny Arcade web series and... Partially as a result of this short, Stryka, she was recently tapped to co-write the Pacific Rim sequel, and she's also writing and directing a feature produced by Steven Spielberg and conceived by Colin Trevorrow called Powerhouse. And she was recently rumored to be in talks for Marvel's upcoming Captain Marvel movie. So basically, she's a pretty good bet to be a pretty talked about name in action and sci-fi filmmaking in the near future, and Stryka is a really good display of her talents. It's a nine-minute short set in the near future that follows an alien petty thief played by Amy Mullins as she struggles to choose between her loyalty to her longtime partner in crime and a new figure who pushes her outside of her comfort zone. It's very well executed on a technical level, making judicious use of practical effects and production design, as well as a little bit of CGI. But it's also really warm and funny in some unexpected ways. Uh, Carmichael creates a believable world and inhabitants in just a few short minutes, and it's definitely left me excited to see more from her in this vein. Stryka, it debuted on Ars Technica this week, and it should be available elsewhere online by the time this episode comes out. 
Well, that's, that does sound yeah. exciting. Uh, what about you, Tasha? Well, I was going to talk about a film, but given the amount of trivia I was bringing in that you guys had not heard, I'm going to pivot and throw this out at you. There's a piece on Entertainment Weekly called Ghostbusters, An Oral History by Jeff Lebrecht. And this was not the source of much of the stuff I talked about here, but it is a goldmine of interesting trivia. They talked to uh, Aykroyd and Reitman and Weaver and uh, Annie Potts and uh, the producer and uh, Ernie Hudson and uh, just everyone but Bill Murray sounds like <laughs> yeah, but Bill Murray is not there. But yeah. but the Bill Murray stories are pretty good. Apparently, uh, Bill Murray has a tendency to wander off with anyone who comes up to him and says, "Hey, I've got a cool record collection," or uh, "My apartment's across the street. You want to see my etchings?" And they had to keep pulling him back for the movie. He is <laughs> he's apparently a, a, the wacky dude that he is today, photobombing people's birthday parties. He was back in the 1980s too. There's so much fun stuff in here. There's a thing about. Uh, the Sigourney Weaver tells about going into Reitman thinking that she's going to be playing a, an actual dog, that she's going to be possessed and turned into a dog. So she talks about running around the uh, like the screen test, barking and chewing on the curtains until he went and turned the camera off and said, you don't want this on film. It might end up in the wrong place. There are so many really great production stories and interaction stories and, and behind the scenes kind of stuff. Uh, Ghostbusters, the oral history on Entertainment Weekly. It's a really good read. And it's free. And it is. It is like, free so to anyone content. who wants to read it. Scott, what do you have? Uh, yeah, I wanted to recommend uh, a movie called Our Little Sister. Uh, this is the new film from director Hirokazu Koreeda, uh, who made his name on a movie called Afterlife, uh, but has since established himself as a subtle chronicler of family drama and movies like Nobody Knows, Still Walking, and Like Father, Like Son. Uh, our little sister is about three sisters. Uh, the oldest uh, probably in her mid to late 20s. The youngest is 19. They all live together in their grandmother's old house. Uh, their father left their mother for another woman, and then their mother left them uh, for another man. And uh, when their father dies, they go to his funeral and meet their half-sister, who's 13, and they wind up persuading the kid to come back and live with them. Um, this seems like a potentially explosive situation because there's so much abandonment and betrayal in the family, and the older sisters are all at an age where their lives are in flux, too. Uh, but Corieta downplays the drama to kind of a remarkable extreme. Uh, you know, uh, Our Little Sister is full of emotion and does have a few big revelations, but the tone is, is largely serene and observational. It's a real, just a... It's not reverie isn't the right word, but it kind of feels that way. Uh, it's it's pleasant, it's episodic, it's 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 quite subtle, well performed, uh, beautiful to look at, um, and it's kind of trickling about the country now. Sony Pictures Classics, which uh, has been nobly uh, releasing foreign language films like no other major studio, you know, boutique label has has done. They're, they've they've got a handle on this one, and uh, they're they're bringing it out around the country. Totally rec- recommended. Our little sister has it been to Chicago yet? Yes, it is. I saw oh. it. At, I saw it at Landmark Century Centra. Oh, I saw a preview for it at Landmark Century Centra before Finding Dory, which oh, was very right. strange. But it I, it was a really good trailer, and I'm very curious about no, it. No, it's, so. it's a it's a it's a really nice movie. And his movies are always terrific. Yeah, He's so I great. love I missed, I missed the last two. I haven't seen like Father Like Son yet either. That's so. good. Oh, it's, it's a good one. one. Yeah, it's a really good one. Awesome. And this is this is unique. I think I think really he just his ability. You know. 
it, it really just avoids being all that dramatic, which is mm-hmm. takes some getting used to, but but uh, makes for a really pleasant uh, movie going experience. Uh, what have you got, Keith? Uh, Jennifer had a short movie. I have a very long movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a movie called A Touch of Zen by uh, the director King Hu, actor turned director King Hu, um, who this is a 1971 film, and it's really pointed to a lot as one of the key films in in changing uh, changing the course of Chinese filmmaking, changing the course of wuxia uh, uh, filmmaking, sort of the historical kung fu martial arts uh, films, and it is uh, it is great. I I'm late to King Hu. Uh, this is my first. First King Who film, apart from the scenes from Dragon Inn, glimpsed in the uh, Simon Liang movie, uh, Goodbye Dragon Inn. This is filmed largely in Taiwan and is set uh, during the Ming Dynasty, and it is uh, three hours long. And it has so many great action sequences in it, guys. And you know what? None of them show up until an hour into the movie. The first <laughs> hours is very, it's lovely and, and it's, it's important and it, and it sets the tone, but it's a, it's a sort of a small village life, uh, unambitious scholar slash artist who, whose mother wants him to marry off. And uh, he doesn't. He meets somebody. He meets this, this woman across the way. And it all moves fairly deliberately. And you find out she is a princess or noble woman. Or someone who is who is running from from the authorities, and suddenly it's fights, and there's all kinds of beautifully staged fight scenes, and it just gets more cinematic and it goes along, and it's on a new uh, Criterion Blu-ray, and it goes into the making of it and how he would just he, he, the, he achieved his lighting effects by just waiting until the lighting was right for if it didn't work that day they come back tomorrow and shoot it and it is you know the, the artistry is, is quite good it's one of the key to, to give you a, a contemporary touchstone it's it's one of the uh, things Angli has, has cited as the uh, major influence on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and this is yeah, that's all over this movie. This Crouching Tiger would not happen without this movie, and I suspect the other King Who movies that I haven't seen, I need to go watch. Like maybe now. Are we done yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Keith, we are done. And that's it for this week's edition of the Next Picture Show. Our next episodes come out August 9th and August 11th. Tasha, what do we have lined up? After what seems like years of hearing about Jared Leto's deranged method acting style, Suicide Squad is finally hitting theaters, bringing together a bunch of imprisoned supervillains like Deadshot, Killer Croc, and Harley Quinn on a mission to save the world. On our next episode, we'll pair it with Robert Aldrich's 1967 action movie The Dirty Dozen, starring Lee Marvin as a U.S. Army major who gathers a dozen convicted murderers for a mission against the Germans during World War II. It'll be a rogue team-up, just like the Next Picture Show podcast. <laughs> in the meantime we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of the two Ghostbusters and anything else film related we want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show you can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net finally before closing out this week's episode where can we find everyone these days, Keith Phipps? You can find me at Uproxx, where I run the film and TV sections, and on Twitter at kphipps3000. Tasha? You can find me writing about film at theverge.com, where I just realized I wrote about Ghostbusters. We didn't talk about Kate McKinnon. This is a really long show, and we can't get back to her, but I write about how awesome Kate McKinnon is in my piece about Ghostbusters at theverge.com, and you can find me on Twitter and tell me how great Kate McKinnon is at Tasha Robinson. Scott? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at scott underscore tobias and um you can find my work at npr up rocks uh new york times washington post rolling stone vulture uh musings and other other places genevieve what about you you can find me on twitter at genevieve kosky and soon elsewhere as well 
Mm, very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Extremely promising. <laughs> so you can stay updated on The Next Picture Show via Twitter at Next Picture Pod, via Facebook at facebook.com slash nextpictureshow, or by visiting nextpictureshow.net. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, think about rating and reviewing us. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keeps the show going. Thanks to Colin the Animal Griffith for his assistance producing the show. And thanks to Delmark Records for providing recording space at their home base, Riverside Studios. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts and the Panoply Network. Please tune in next time. <laughs>